Amen. Amen. Woo! I gotta just give this guy right here a high five. Amen. Woo! Do you know that it says that when they, when God brought the children of Israel out of cruel Egyptian bondage, that they came out with a high hand? Yes. Come on, that was not invented by the NBA or the NFL. <laughs> So turn around and give somebody a high five and a high hand of victory and say, God is bringing us out. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, I have appreciated every single word that's been spoken this morning. There has been a layering in of revelation from what Reggie shared, Pastor Brett shared, to what Prophet Jim LaFoon shared. And I believe that God has been positioning us today to cooperate and to work together with things that are taking place in the spirit, I believe, today. Everybody say today. Do you realize that today, right now, there's about 110,000 people gathered in a stadium in Los Angeles, uh, uh, California, praying for our nation? Now, I don't know how many, but there's also a gathering taking place downtown in the mall at the Lincoln Memorial this morning called United Cry DC, where they are lifting up prayers for our nation. Amen. And so I believe that all that's taking place here is actually working together with what God is building today, April the 9th, I believe a day in history for our nation. How many believe that we're called to be nation changers? We're called to be history makers, amen? Now, those of you that were here last night know that I shared a word um, about how God had spoken to me um, about this being a season and a time of divine reversal, how many believe that, that God's going to do some divine reversals for you? How many believe that God wants to do some divine reversals even for our nation? And when I shared last night, I shared about the fact that when God started speaking this word reversal to me, he actually gave me several different scriptures. And it all came out of this he Hebrew word, hapak or hapek, which when I looked it up, I was surprised to find out actually was the Strong's Concordance numbers, 2015 and 2016. How many thought that was kind of cool? And, you know, the scriptures, uh, there's other scriptures that use that word, and it's a scripture in Deuteronomy 23, chapter, uh, chapter 23, verse 5, that says, God says, I will turn the curse to a blessing for you because I love you. How many believe God loves us enough to turn the curse, what the enemy has tried to bring against us for evil, God says, I want to turn it around for your good. And another passage where that scripture is used is where God says, I will turn your mourning into dancing. And I will turn your sorrow into joy. How many believe that's the season that we're in right now? Amen. Don't let what's taking place in the world start to vex your spirit. As we start really drawing on what God is saying, we can begin to go see God actually begin to turn our own mourning into a place of dancing and into a place of celebration and into a place of joy. Now, I will confess to you that when the Lord spoke to me um, about it being a year of divine reversal and when uh, the Lord kind of showed it to me that it was in the Hebrew uh, 2015 and 2016, out of curiosity, I kind of jumped over to the New Testament to see what that actual passage was in the Greek. 
that was not spiritual. I was not like having some great revelation, but I just out of curiosity wanted to see what the Greek words 2015, 2016 in the Greek word. And here's what I found out. I found out that the Greek word 2015 is the word epiphany. Epiphaneo. And that the, in, in 2016, it is the word epiphanes. Okay? So epiphany in the Greek literally means to manifest the appearance of the Lord. To bring the brightness or the light of God to shine upon. And that it kind of takes it one step further in 2016 in the Greek word. And literally means uh, to bring notable, recognizable miracles. Come on, this is a time that God wants to manifest himself and bring notable, recognizable miracles, notable, recognizable change into the earth. Amen? And so I want to tell you a little bit about um, a dream that I had um, that I believe really kind of emphasizes the fact that this, that God wants to begin to shine things down into our midst during this season of time and begin to dispel darkness. Now, I mentioned before um, Isaiah chapter 60. It's probably one of the key prophetic verses that I believe that we need to understand during this season of time because I believe it is where we are living. And um, I, I quoted it yesterday, but I'm just going to share it with you again today. It says this. It says, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen on you. I want you to put your hand right here in your belly and just say, the glory of the Lord is rising on me. Okay? The glory of the Lord is rising on us. So, then we go to verse 2 where it says, darkness will cover the earth. And deep darkness will cover the people, but the Lord will rise on you. Put your hand on your belly again and say, God is rising on me. And his glory will be seen on you. Amen. Then, everybody say then. Then nations will come to your light. I want you to say my light. See, a lot of times we, we do this. We say nations will come to your light. But we have to understand that the context of that scripture is that God is saying nations are going to be drawn to your light. Because your light is a reflection of his light. And kings will come to the brightness of your rising. Now, I wanted to just read this verse to you um, out of the Amplified. Because I kind of think it makes it just a little bit more real. And it says this. It says, arise from the depression and prostration in which circumstances have kept you. Rise to a new life. Shine, be radiant with the glory of the Lord. For your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. I want to say this in regards to our nation. I'm going, to, I'm going to be talking a little bit about us personally coming into this light, but I'm also going to be talking about our nation. But I want to say this about our nation. I do not believe that the crisis in our nation today is a governmental or a political crisis. I do not believe that it is an economic or financial crisis. I believe the crisis in our nation today is a spiritual crisis. 
And I believe that in order to answer the crisis in our land today, we must have a spiritual awakening. That's why I believe that God is looking at his church and he's not so much just looking at who's in the White House or who's in uh, the Supreme Court. I think all of these things are very important, but I believe that what God is really looking at today is he's looking at us. And I believe that as we respond to a spiritual crisis, the other things will take, will fall into line according to how we respond to the spiritual crisis. So I want to uh, uh, um, kind of bring a dream to you that I had uh, just a number of months ago. We were actually um, getting ready to, we were actually in Australia. We'd uh, traveled to Australia. And my first night in the, in the nation of Australia, I had this dream. Now, for those of you that don't know me very well, and I, of course you've probably heard me in the last couple of days, but God actually speaks to me quite a bit in dreams. In Acts chapter 2, it says, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and the result will be your sons and your daughters will prophesy, young men will see visions, and old men will dream dreams. And so when we start talking about being prophetic, God wants to prophetically open up our eyes, open up our ears, but also open up our dream life. How many of you feel like you have spiritual dreams at times? God is going to give us a greater and greater understanding about how it is that he's speaking and what it is that he's saying through our spiritual dreams. Sorry, I'm still having a little bit of catch in my throat this morning, so excuse me for the tea. So, so in, in this dream, and okay, so let me just put it in this context, okay? It's a dream. So you know how crazy things happen in dreams, Okay, so just bear with me, all right? So in the dream, I actually met four angels. And I, I, even though I've actually talked about angels quite a bit over the last couple of days, I just want to say I'm not somebody that has these great encounters with angels all the time. Okay, I see them spiritually. I know they're there. I've never actually seen an angel with my eyes other than maybe the little old man in the train station that we talked about yesterday. Uh, not my great claim to fame in um, angel awareness, all right? Um, but, but, I, but I have had, an, I did have an encounter with a dream, with an angel one time, when I was just waking up from a dream, and this is a different dream. I was actually in... Um, in the state of Michigan, I was getting ready to speak at a conference, and I had a, I'd had a dream, a prophetic dream, and I woke up and I was laying there in the bed thinking about the dream, when um, kind of pondering it, thinking it, thinking it over, and I, I actually honestly happen to be one of those people that is convinced that the last 10 minutes I spend in bed are the most comfortable 10 minutes in the bed. Is there anybody else here that's like, yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you very much. Amen. <clears throat> and so I kind of snuggled down under the covers and I was thinking about this dream when all of a sudden, and I was alone in the room, all of a sudden I felt a physical hand touch me on the shoulder and shake me hard. And I heard an audible voice say, wake up. Just like that. Now, if you've ever been around somebody that says, oh, I saw this angel. No, let me just say, it scared the living daylights out of me. I mean, literally, I was shaking from head to toe. I did not see an angel or anything, but obviously he shook me. 
I heard a voice say, wake up really loud. I sat up in bed and was trembling. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, wow. (laughs) Really? Okay. Um, I thought I was awake. I mean, I mean, obviously God thinks that this is important enough to send an angel down to, to wake me up. And he, and he says, wake up. And I said, Lord, I thought I was awake. And the Lord said back to me, most of my church thinks that they're awake. But they're still asleep. He said, you need to wake up so that you can wake them up. So look at your neighbor and say, wake up. <laughs> so when I landed in Australia and I had this dream, I, in this dream, I actually met these four angels. And, and the angels, let me just describe them to you. There were four angels. They were dressed all in white, kind of like you probably would think angels would be. Um, and they had their arms linked together. And they said to me, we are the four horsemen of awakening. We are the team that is necessary to bring nations into revival and awakening. And they presented this united front before me. Now, later on when I woke up and I was telling my husband the dream, and the dream goes on, I'll tell you a little bit more. But... Later on, when I was talking to my husband about this, you know, they said they were the four horsemen of awakening. How many know that in the book of Revelation, there are four other horsemen? Okay, their names are things like war and famine and death and I don't know what else, something else bad, pestilence or something like that, okay? These were not those four horsemen, just to be clear, okay? These these horsemen... Are, are a team that's being sent into the earth to bring nations into revival and into awakening. When I mentioned this to my husband, he said, you know, there was a, a, a Notre Dame football team back in the, I think it was the 30s, that their offensive line was called the Four Horsemen. And they were famous for being able to break the way open for advancement. And I thought, oh, that's, that's really good. That's really awesome to hear that, you know. And sometimes God will use language that we don't fully understand. And I think you'll understand as this dream goes on a little bit further. But each of the angels began to interact with me in this dream. Again, I, I, I am completely in agreement with Pastor Brett. I don't think we hang out with angels. I don't think we just uh, hang out and have conversations with them. But in this dream, they came and they began to kind of present themselves as this team. And they were talking about one of the angels was, a, was an angel that had worked with past outpourings, past revivals, past awakenings. One of the angels had worked with the, the, the launch of the prophetic movement, the launch of apostolic um, impact and apostolic ministry in the earth today. And the, but the interesting thing was the fourth angel because the fourth angel was kind of linked together with the others, but he basically said that he was, his job assignment was to begin to stir up prophetic evangelism and getting the church to take everything that we've learned inside the four walls of the church, outside the four walls of the church. So in other words, if we believe in healing, Reggie's heard me preach this, but if we believe in healing inside the four walls of the church, how many know that every single one of us ought to be able to take what we know and to carry it outside the four walls of the church? 
and be able to minister healing, begin to minister life, begin to minister the release of, of Christ. Prophetic words, things that we learn how to do in the church, being able to minister it outside the church. And I believe that there's a whole new wave that is coming to the church today. As God wants to bring revival and awakening, it's not just going to come because God falls on us. It's going to be because he arises within us. Do you understand the difference in that? Okay. Is that the Holy Spirit indwells us and abides inside of us. And, uh, and I'm telling you that just taking the supernatural word of God, the prophetic revelation or the, the gifts of the spirit outside the four walls of the church can turn an entire community upside down. I'll give you one small little picture of how I saw this happen one time. Uh, my husband and I, our vacation of choice is uh, that we love to go cruising. How many here have ever been on a cruise? Hallelujah. I see that hand too. Hallelujah. Okay. So we love to cruise. We live in Florida, so it's fairly easy for us, but we were actually on a ministry cruise. In other words, um, we weren't ministering, but we were there with a bunch of our minister friends and we were actually having leadership meetings on a cruise. How cool is that? And uh, one night we had gone to dinner and after dinner, uh, we went into the entertainment and the entertainer that night was a comedian and he was up on the, the stage and he was doing his thing. It was clean. It was funny. It was a lot of fun. We kind of slipped in late. We were sitting along the back. And as soon as I sat down, I was listening to the guy's comedy routine and he was really funny and I'm laughing. And all of a sudden I hear the, the voice of God say to me, ask that man, why is he running from the call of God? So, I, okay. <laughs> I'm on the back row of a theater on a cruise ship. How in the world am I going to ask this man? Okay. So I'm thinking, okay, God, well, I'm not sure what to do with that. So as we were leaving the theater that night, there's the comedian shaking everybody's hand. So I'm thinking, well, now or never, right? So I just kind of shook his hand, told him how much we enjoyed his comedy routine. I said, I said, you might think this is a little strange. I said, but while you were performing, I began to pray for you. That's a nice way to just kind of segue. <laughs> All right. Instead of like, okay, you know, you don't want to do that. Okay. That'll probably freak them out. Okay. So I just kind of said, you know, I started to pray for you and I just felt like God wanted me to ask you. Why are you running from the call of God? And when I said that, he went like somebody had slapped him. And he leaned forward and he said, who are you? And I said, well, um, I'm just a believer. I believe that God speaks today. My husband and I are actually here with some ministers. And I just really felt like God wanted to ask you that question. Well, he breaks out in a sweat. And he's like, oh, man. Oh, wow, man. <sighs> wow. Man. That's all I could say. I said, I tell you what, okay? I said, why don't you give my husband and I a call in our room when you get a minute, and we'll be happy to pray with you. Oh, man, I would love that. So we just kind of jotted our, our room number down on his hand, okay? And we went our way. Well, the next morning at... 6 a.m. on our cruise vacation, the man calls our room and he's like, oh man, I have been up all night long 
ever since you said that to me. Can we meet together so that you can pray for me so that I can know what I'm supposed to do? So I'm like, yeah, we can do that. He says, oh, by the way, bring some of your minister friends. I need a lot of help. (laughs) So we made some arrangements to meet him um, up on one of the top decks after the entertainment was over that night. And we sat with him and that man gave his heart back to Jesus. We got him baptized in the Holy Spirit. He started speaking in tongues. We prophesied to him. We cast some devils out of him. And we prayed for healing for his body. We kind of gave him the full meal deal, okay? He was so jazzed. He was so excited about the call of God on his life. He was that excited that at 6 a.m. the next morning, he called my room again. He goes, oh man, I've been up all night long. I'm so excited. I'm so pumped. I'm so jazzed. That was so awesome. Hey, listen, I've got lots of friends on this ship. He said, could I bring them tonight and you could do to them whatever that was you did to me. And I'm like, yeah, let's do that. Okay, let's do that. So every single night on the cruise, we had service up on the top deck. We prayed for the orchestra director. We played for the band members. We played for the art director. We ministered cast devils out of the spa girls. We were, we had revival on the ship. We had people getting saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, demons cast out, prophesied to. We, we lit that ship on fire. And it all started with one tiny little prophetic word that took me about three seconds to give. Can you see what can happen if we just say, God, use me? Come on. We had revival on a cruise ship. I actually still have communication with some of those people because they were birthed into the kingdom through that encounter. Understand God wants this this kind of thing to happen. Now, back to my dream about the angels, okay? And I'm going to kind of get to the point. In my dream, these angels, they're linked together. They've got their arms linked together. Okay, now remember, it's a dream. So the next scene was on a golf course. I know, angels on a golf course. I know that's the dream that every golfer has prayed for, okay? But these, these four angels hit a ball, okay? I don't know how their arms were linked together, but they hit a golf ball. It's a dream, okay? Things happen in dreams. And later on, I asked the Lord, why is this happening on a golf course? And all I could figure out was the scripture where Paul said, I have finished my course, okay? And, and it really does have to do with finishing. So, so the, the angels started marching down the fairway to get their ball, and the ball bounces about 10 feet away from a giant crocodile. Now, I'm in Australia, so hence the crocodile, okay? But the angels walk right up to this ball, and they stop, and they wait. Now, as they're waiting, I can see the end of the the end of the, the, the golf course and the clubhouse, and there's a big party going on. And they're saying, come on, finish, come on, finish. See, I believe that that's like the great cloud of witnesses that's peering over the balconies of heaven, that's looking at you and I, that's rooting us on and saying, come on, guys, you need to finish. But in this dream, the angels came up to the ball 
10 feet away from this crocodile, which was clearly a type, a spiritual typology of a Leviathan spirit. How many have heard of Leviathan? Leviathan is mentioned in, in Job chapter 41. And uh, it's always pictured kind of as a, a crocodile or as a great sea monster. The interesting thing about the word Leviathan is that, um, is that it, it has this threatening nature. But it actually, the name of Leviathan actually means to mourn. And you see, I think one of the ways that the enemy has tried to stop the church in its tracks is by getting us into a season of mourning. Mourning over how bad things have gotten. Mourning over family situations. Grieving over losses. Grieving over things that how bad the nation's gotten. How, how difficult things have become. Grieving over different situations in our life. And the enemy tries to get us to stop. When you actually read about Leviathan in, in Job chapter 41, you actually find out that Leviathan is viewed as an unconquerable foe. He cannot be beaten. He cannot be conquered. He is responsible for prayerlessness, for covenant breaking, for apathy. I mean, we're not going to teach on, on Leviathan, but apathy, despondency, complacency, backing people off, backing people down, saying, what's the use? And I think there's a lot of that in the church today. What's the use? Why bother praying? Why bother fasting? It doesn't really change anything. All I need to do is take care of my own soul. Understand, church, God wants to turn our mourning into dancing. Come on, God wants to deliver us so that we can be set free. God wants to deliver us not just so that we are delivered, but so that then we can become deliverers. And I believe that the enemy has been doing everything that he could to put the church into a place that is so self-focused on our own trials, our own traumas, and we forget that there's a nation hanging in the balance. We forget that God wants to arise on our behalf. Now, how many were here last night where I talked about the hook? Okay, let me just give you a couple of scriptures that I think are really interesting. They're not going to be on the, on the overhead. But in Job chapter 41, when it's speaking about Leviathan, basically God's saying to Job, can you put a hook in his jaw? Can you drag this thing out? No, the answer is no. But over in Ezekiel, I think chapter 39, God says this. God says, I will put a hook in his jaw. And I'm going to pull him out of the river and all the fish that stick to his scale. You know what all the fish that stick to his scale are? Prayerlessness, hopelessness, fear, apathy, intimidation, uh, uh, a worry, anxiety. All these things that try to weigh us down that make us feel like our prayers do not prevail. See, if, the, if I can just get the church to shake themselves... If I can just get the church to wake up just a little bit and realize that heaven hears us when we pray. I want to read you a scripture um, out of someplace in the New Testament. How's that? I'm going to read it out of um, Luke chapter 8. I don't think this is on the overhead either. This is the story of Jesus and Jairus' daughter. And... It says this in Luke chapter 8, verse 49. It says, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. 
But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. And see, I believe that this is kind of the picture of the church, is that people are saying, don't trouble God. Come on, there's some things that have died. Just get used to it. Just deal with it. This is just how it is. But look what Jesus says. It says, now all wept and mourned for her. But Jesus said, do not weep. She is not dead, only sleeping. I want to say this about the church. The church in America is not dead. We're only sleeping. So turn and shake your neighbor and say, wake up. (laughs) We've got to break out of this place of being stuck. Now, let me read you the scripture out of, out of Job, Job chapter five. It says this, it says, but if I were you, I would appeal to God. I would lay my cause before him. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. Is that true? He provides rain for the earth. He sends water on the countryside. The lowly he sets on high. And those who, what, mourn are lifted to safety. Now, in talking about this, the key to the dream was not the angels. The key to the dream was not the, 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 the crocodile. The key to the dream was the fact that the angels were waiting on something. What were the angels waiting on? They were waiting on us. They were waiting on us to lift up an appeal to heaven. They were waiting on us to cry out for on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our situation. Now, I actually have a friend that when her son was very little, when he was a child, he saw angels just like we see people. Okay? And his mom and dad would travel around to a lot of different churches and they would always ask him, Koa, what are the angels doing? And Koa would look around, and if the people were worshiping, he'd say, oh, they're dancing with all the people. If the people were praying, he would say, they're spinning their swords, Mom. They're warring for the people, if the people were praying. One church they went into, there didn't seem to be a whole lot of activity. And she said, Koa, so what are the angels doing? And Koa looked around. Oh, mom, they're in the foyer. They're back hanging out, just talking. How many hope that your angels aren't just hanging out talking? How many hope that you're giving your angels something to do? Okay. And so what we have to understand is that there's this partnership. Now, the night that I had this dream, the morning that I woke up and wrote it down was August the 6th. And we went into conference that night, and the man that was ministering was the head of our um, Australian base, and he got up and he said, you know, August the 6th is actually a very specific day in Australian history. 
He said it is the day that we talk about um, how the Anzac armies, that's the Australia, New Zealand Army Corps, in 1915 went in and invaded a place in the Middle East called Gallipoli. How many have ever heard of the Battle of Gallipoli? And when they invaded Gallipoli, it was the first time that a Western force had actually invaded and made a, a, a victorious incursion into Islamically controlled territory for 1,400 years. They won the battle at Gallipoli, but then they ended up having, suffering a major defeat. But that, that beginning battle actually began to set the course for the next two years. And over the next two years, the Anzac armies, the Australia-New Zealand Army Corps, along with the British Army, actually went in and overthrew the Ottoman Empire uh, at, at two different major battles, a battle called Beersheba and a battle at Jerusalem. Now, let me tell you why I'm bringing this in, is that as he's sharing this, he begins to talk about how the army was actually called the light horsemen. Now, I've just had this dream about these horsemen, and the army that went in and invaded and set this whole territory free were called the light horsemen. Have you ever heard the charge of the light horse brigade? Have you ever heard that very famous poem? It's about this, this valiant army of uh, uh, very underqualified, very outnumbered individuals that charged against the enemy's ranks and won tremendous victories. The interesting thing is that the first major battle that they won was actually in 1917, and they overthrew the, um, <clears throat> the Ottoman Empire and the German, the Nazis, the early German Empire in the First World War. They overthrew them at a place called Beersheba. Let me tell you where Beersheba was. Beersheba was what Pastor Brent was talking about this morning. When God made covenant with Abraham, Beersheba actually means the place of the oath or the place of covenant. It was the place where God revealed himself as El Olam, the God that keeps covenant generation to generation to generation. And when the Anzac armies actually went against these insurmountable foe, they were outnumbered 20 to 1. They had artillery that, that was amazing compared to their little muskets. And yet these very, very brave Anzacs, these very, very brave horsemen charged against the enemy. They broke through the enemy's line and they said that their charge was so valiant and so absolutely impossible that when they broke through the enemy, historically it's recorded, they put their weapons down and applauded them. Because what they did was impossible. How many know we're facing some impossible things today? But here's the super cool part. Is that on both the Anzac side, the Australian, New Zealand, and British side, as well as the German and the Islamic um, forces side, they reported secular military accounts of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of accounts that as those Anzacs were charging... Both sides of the battle saw angels. They called them light beings on the battlefield. I'm not 
telling you something from the scriptures. I'm not telling you something from an imagination. I'm telling you from written historical accounts. Do you know when we start charging to take back our land, God will mobilize heavenly forces to fight with us. When we start charging to say, I'm going to take back my family, I'm going to take back my neighborhood, I'm going to take back my schools. Come on, how many know the enemy wants to overrun our schools? He wants to overrun our government, our communities. But when we rise up and we say, I'm going to take it back, God says, I'm going to send you what you need to win the battles. And that same troop, that same Anzac army, six weeks later, actually liberated Jerusalem in 1917 after 1,400 years of Islamic rulership. By the way, did I mention it was a year of jubilee? It was a year of jubilee. I believe that we're in that moment right now, guys. We're in a jubilee moment to take back that which belongs to us. We're in a jubilee moment to take back our family, to take back our children, to take back our generations, to take back our nation, to take back our, to our communities, our schools, on every practical level. And I believe that God is saying, I want to send armies down to fight with you. Amen? To fight for you. But we've got to get past this thing that wants to stall us out that says the cause is hopeless. How many have, if you'll put up that flag, how many have seen the appeal to heaven flag? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about when I say appeal to heaven. Okay, I'm going to tell you a quick story. <clears throat> about um, seven or eight years ago, Dutch Sheets was actually at our church, and he was traveling with this young guy named Thomas Hall, and he said, hey, Thomas, um, I feel like God wants to speak to me tonight, but I'm too tired to have a dream. Why don't you have a dream for me? I don't know why I haven't thought of that, okay? So the next day, Thomas came back and he said, he said, listen, I did have a dream for you. He said, in the dream, he said, I, you were in this boxing rink, Dutch. He said, and you had two boxing gloves on your hand. One was called Everlast and the other was called Evergreen. How many know Everlast actually makes boxing equipment? When Dutch heard that, he knew that God was putting, giving him equipment to take out some giants. And so five different giants came and boom, 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 he took out the giants in this dream. He knew that the, the glove called Everlast was because God had been teaching him about the everlasting God, El Olam. Remember I shared with you yesterday about this being the year Ayin Vav? Remember that? The Hebraic letters, ayin, vav, the only word in the scripture that you actually find the combination of the letters, ayin, vav, is actually the name, el olam. That's, that's how you spell el olam is with the combination of the letters, ayin, vav. It's a time. It's a season, guys. So el olam means this, the God of eternity, the God of the past, and the God of our future. The God that keeps covenant generation to generation. How many believe that there have been covenants made for this nation? How many believe that God keeps covenant generation 
to generation. There have been prayers that have been prayed hundreds of years ago. And one day God was speaking to Dutch Sheets and he said, I want you to join your prayers to their prayers. And he said, uh, excuse me, Lord, those people are dead. And the Lord said to him, yes, but their prayers are not dead. Their prayers live on. And so he, we began to, to pray and decree. And he understood everlasting God, but he did not understand the evergreen. Until somebody presented him with that flag that said an appeal to heaven. Because in the middle of that flag is an evergreen tree. Now let me tell you about that flag. That flag was the first commissioned flag for the United States of America. It predates the Stars and Stripes. It was commissioned by George Washington. It initially flew over the Navy prior to the beginning of the, uh, the, the Revolutionary War. And it was the battle flag that was carried into battle until Betsy Ross made the Stars and Stripes. This phrase, unappealed to heaven, actually comes from the writings of a British author by the name of John Locke. And John Locke actually said these words. He says, if you are facing impossible odds, if you have gone to the courts of men and not received justice, if you are outnumbered and, you're the, and, and that which you are encountering is completely over your head and you cannot overcome it, your only option is to appeal to heaven. How many know at the very beginning of this nation, we were outnumbered? We had impossible odds. They had appealed to the natural king and gotten no justice. So they recognized then that their only option was to lift up an appeal to heaven. And that was actually written on the very first flag of our nation. Today, there is an appeal to heaven movement because we believe that we're in a similar situation today. If we're going to claim a nation back for God, we are facing impossible odds. We've gone to the courts of men and we haven't gotten justice. Let me tell you something that, my, that the Lord said to my husband last year. My husband was frustrated and he said, you know, Lord, we shouldn't call the Supreme Court in our country the Supreme Court. They're not the final say. And the Lord answered back to my husband and said, no, son, they are the final say in your nation. He said, but when a lower court issues a ruling that's wrong, your only option is to appeal, make an appeal to a higher court. And there is a sovereign court in heaven. Daniel chapter 7 says, the court was seated and the books were opened. There is a court in heaven. And when you make an appeal to a higher court and that court decrees a reversal, all the lower courts have to shift their, their decrees to start lining up with what the higher court has decreed. We're in a battle for a nation. And I believe that God is working with us. I want to read you one last scripture. And we're going to do something together. I want to show you this scripture about the Shunammite. How many know the story about the Shunammite? We know that she had 
uh, built a chamber for the prophet in her house, a room for the prophet in her house. In 2 Kings chapter 4, the prophet came and said, um, said to, to his servant, find out what this woman needs. I want to bless her back. She came back and she said, you know what? I don't really need anything. We're wealthy. We dwell among our own people. Everything's good. But the servant said, but you know what? She doesn't have a child. How many understand generations are important to God? And so the prophet said, so um, God's going to bless you with a child. And you know what she said to him? This woman of great faith and power. She said, prophet, don't mess with me. Come on, don't get my hopes up. And he said, okay, be that as it may, this time next year, you're going to be holding a child. So God broke off her barrenness. How many believe God wants to break off our barrenness? Amen. But as time went on, the child grew up. He was working in the field with his father. And the child one day grabbed his head, said, my head, my head. And he fell over dead. And so you know what that woman did? She ran back to the house, took the boy back to the house, put him up in the prophet's chamber and ran and got the prophet. And she said, prophet, I didn't ask for this boy. You gave me this boy. You better come heal him. (laughs) Basically, that's what happened. So the prophet came and went up into the chamber and raised the boy from the dead. Well, not too long after that, the prophet gave this Shunammite woman a word and said, listen, there's going to be a famine in the land for seven years. How many understand we've been in a famine in this land? Come on. And he said, listen, I need you just to go wherever you go. And then when the famine's over, I'll tell you to come back. So she went to the land of the Philistines. And that's where I want to pick up 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 3. It says, it came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines. Let me just stop right there and say this. The word Philistine actually means to wallow in self-pity. Just shake yourself and say, I won't do that. (laughs) We can't get caught in self-pity. Woe is me. This is helpless. This is hopeless. Come on. She returned from the land of the Philistines and she went, listen to this, to make an appeal For her house and her land. She went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. And the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things that Elisha has done. Now it happened as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life appealing to the king for her house and for her land. How many of you need to make an appeal to the king for your house? Come on, for your house. For your house. You got some things that you need to see turn around. How many believe that we need to make an appeal to the king for, to our land, for our land? And Gehazi said, my Lord, O king, this is the woman and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him the story. So the king appointed a certain officer. I believe that's like God sending angels. And he said, restore all that was hers. And, everybody say and. And And all the proceeds of the field 
over the last seven years from the time that she left the land until today. In other words, God doesn't want to just give us back what we've lost. God wants to give us back seven years of what we should have had. For your house and for your land. I want us to stand up together. That night when I shared the dream about the angels... I mean, I I hadn't shared the dream about the angels yet, but the man was preaching and he was talking about the light horsemen. I had not even shared this dream with him. I'd not told this man the dream that I'd had about these four angels whose arms were linked. But at the very end of his service, he said this. He said, I just had a vision and felt like the Lord said, we all need to link arms together. He said, and as we link arms together, it's going to be a sign That heaven wants to link arms with us here in the earth to help us. And so I want us to do this. I want us across the aisles, throughout this place, let's link arms together with one another. And we're going to add our voices to the voices of those that are being lifted up all over this this nation. But we're going to, like the Shunammite, we're going to start out and we're going to make an appeal for our house first. We're going to make an appeal for those prodigals to come home. We're going to make an appeal for financial restoration. How many have lost some things over the last seven years? How many have lost some health? And you want to see restoration. I believe that just as God spoke to the Shunammite. She made an appeal for her house. We're going to start out. And we're just going to cry out to God for just a moment. And we're going to cry out to God for our house first. For her house and her land. We're going to cry out for our homes first. We're going to pray in the language of the spirit. If you don't pray in tongues. Cry out in English. Or go ahead and just receive. Listen, for some of you that think it's hard to receive, they just laid hands on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They took a deep breath because the word spirit and breath are the same word. They breathed in and then they breathed out in the language of the spirit. So if you want to receive right where you are, you can receive the language of the Holy Spirit as we pray. So we're going to start out by crying out to God for our house, for miracles, for divine reversals, for children to come home, for finances to be restored, for things that we've lost over the last seven years to come back into a place of blessing, back into a place of focus. And then we're going to shift gears to cry out for our land. So let's go ahead and let's just begin to lift up a sound. Come on, lift up a cry. Lift up an intercession. Come on, cry out to the Lord for your house. Make an appeal to heaven right now for your house. Make an appeal to the king right now. Divine reversals, God. Jubilee, God. Children's children. God, we make an appeal. 
appeal for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done in our families, in our homes, in our communities. We make an appeal, oh God, that whatever the enemy has sent to stop us in our tracks, hopelessness, fear, apathy, Lord, we break the power of those things right now. We thank you, Father, for an infusion of hope, for an infusion of faith, for an infusion of power by your hand. Divine reversal, God. Divine reversal, God. Turn it around, God. Turn it around. Bring us out of the land of the Philistines, oh God. of Jesus in the name of Jesus oh now let's intercede for the house of every nations come on let's intercede for the movement of every nations that God wants to bring restoration God wants to bring breakthrough signs and wonders and miracles to the house of every nations to the house of grace covenant let's cry out to God right now Restore all, God. Restore all. Restore all. Restore all. Restore all, oh God. for the United States of America. Let's join the hundreds of thousands that are gathering all over this land today. Let's make an appeal to heaven. Come on, let's just cry out. Just lift up your voice in a shout. A shout of jubilee. A shout of release. Come on, shout to the Lord. Woo! Come on, let's shout to the Lord. Woo! We shout with a voice of triumph we shout with the sound of liberty a shout of jubilee Just stay linked together for just a second. God is a God of covenant. And I'm going to close by just giving you a little example of that. Our ministry owns about 80 acres in the panhandle of Florida. There's not a whole lot around us except woods, probably some snakes, a few alligators, like we were talking about the other day. Alligators. But we, but we came there and we bought 20 acres, then we added 7 acres, then we added 25 acres and 15 acres and another 15-acre plot of land until we had assembled just about an entire 80-acre block of land. And when we bought this last acreage, we bought it from a very, very old woman. And she said, what are you going to do with all this land? And we said, 
We believe that God's called us to not just build a church, but to build a training center. A place where we can train ministers that can then be sent to the nations of the world. And a place where people from the nations can come to, be, to receive training so that God can raise up a mighty army in the earth. A spiritual army that will change nations. And when we shared that, this old woman began to cry. And she said, well then, let me tell you the story of your land. She said, a hundred years ago, at the turn of the century in the 1900s, my grandfather was a general in the Salvation Army organization. That was before they were thrift stores. They were a great evangelistic organization. (laughs) She said he was a general in the Salvation Army organization. And he came down here to this area of Florida. He crossed over on a ferry and came down this dirt road to this 80-acre piece of land and purchased it. And she said, as a little girl, I remember them bringing us out here. And we had a picnic on the land one day. And I don't really understand why he did this, but he took a giant bottle of oil and he poured it out on the land. And he said, Lord, I dedicate this land to be used to raise up a training center. A place where people can be trained and sent to the nations. And a a place where people can gather from the nations to be equipped to be the army of the Lord to change nations. And do you know that man died and never saw the fulfillment of his dream? The land was passed down to his children, passed down to his grandchildren, and in most cases split up and sold off except for this one grandchild who sold it to us 100 years later we are fulfilling what that man prayed because we serve El Olam the God that keeps covenant generation to generation I want you to know there have been prayers prayed for hundreds of years over this land and God is a God that intends to keep covenant with this nation, with your family, and with your generations. Because that is his name. Can we give the Lord one more shout of jubilee? Hallelujah!